Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co host, Dolores Alfieri. And this is a true Italian American podcast episode because I'm coming to you from Rome in Italy, and Dolores is back in the U.S. Dolores, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Anthony. I have, I have a feeling not as well as you, however. Chasing three kids around Italy is a little bit tiring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been seeing your pictures. and You certainly all look like you're having a good time. Yeah, it's definitely a good time. And we are here for a little over a month. And we're going to be trying to hunt down some family. I'm going to visit some of the communes and some of the ancestral villages of my grandparents, which I'm excited about. And I'll definitely be updating our listeners through Facebook and through Twitter on what we find here while everything's going on. Well, what's your next stop after Rome? So after Rome, we'll be leaving for Sorrento for a few days. And then while I'm in Sorrento, I'll visit Sarno, which is where my, my grandmother's parents came from. And then we'll head south to Paestum, where my mother's family is. We're actually going to get to meet them, see them, and then we'll head to Sicily for a few weeks to meet some other family and, and get together with some family from the U.S. So it's going to be a good trip. So, Anthony, before we introduce our guest for today, I want to just let our listeners know that we are airing a bonus episode this coming Sunday, July 24th. Of course, we usually publish every other Sunday, but we're airing a kind of mini episode this Sunday in honor of Mike Piazza's induction into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You and I got the opportunity to speak with Mike Piazza at the National Italian American Foundation's Gala in New York at Cipriani 42nd Street. We had a really great time talking to Mike, and we are also going to be airing the very moving speech he gave at that same gala. And this is this is all just to celebrate his induction and to honor him. He's a very proud Italian American and certainly a pillar of our community. So stay tuned. That's right. All right. So now I'm going to, before we get into our episode and introduce our guest, speaking of the NIAF Gala, we want to take a minute to offer a word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we see ourselves as the leaders of the Italian American community, and we work hard to protect our great heritage to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, our work provides young Italian Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. 
To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. This is Gabrielle Maletti, Director of Programs for the National Italian American Foundation, and here is your Italian American Community News. NIAF needs your support to pass legislation in Congress to give our community a long overdue apology for the internment and civil rights violations committed against Italian Americans during World War II. Join us and sign our change.org petition. Learn more at NIAF.org. And here is your NIAF in the News. Join us as we celebrate our heritage in the nation's capital. Mark October 15th on your calendars for our 31st anniversary gala in Washington, D.C. at the Washington Marriott Wardman Park Hotel. Tickets are on sale now at NIAF.org. And calling all Italians in the Washington, D.C. area. Lavagna, D.C. has chosen NIAF as the July Charity of the Month. Each Wednesday throughout the month of July, a portion of the night's proceeds will go towards the NIAF and the NIAF's educational programs. Eat delicious Italian food and donate to a good cause. Make your reservations now at lavagnadc.com. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode, Domenica Marchetti, is a food journalist, cooking teacher, and author of seven cookbooks, most recently, Preserving Italy, Canning, Curing, Infusing, and Bottling Italian Flavors and Traditions. Other books include The Glorious Pasta of Italy and The Glorious Vegetables of Italy, both which I've had for dinner tonight. (laughs) 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 William Sonoma, Rustic Italian, and Ciao Biscotti. Her articles and recipes on Italian home cooking have appeared in the Washington Post, Cooking Light, Fine Cooking, and Food and Wine, among other publications. When Domenica is not in her kitchen or at her computer, she leads culinary tours in Italy's magnificent Abruzzo region. Her website is domenicacooks.com, and this was a really cool interview because we did dive into the whole idea of preserving, canning, jarring, which is such something that's really so much the culture of Italy that Dolores and I talk a lot about, and it was just great to dig into it with Domenica. So Dolores, why don't you take us into the interview with a quote here? So this quote is from Wolfgang Puck. Italian food is all about ingredients, and it's not fussy, and it's not fancy. All right, now it's time for the main segment of our show, and we're thrilled to have with us Domenica Marchetti, the author of Preserving Italy, Canning, Curing, Infusing, and Bottling Italian Flavors and Traditions, along with seven other wonderful books. Domenica, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. Uh, you are just a, a wonderful author. Dolores and I have both, both being authors ourselves, we've read through some of your books, we've read through your website, and it's it's great how you take so many of the things that you're writing about and you really bring them to life, and we appreciate you spending some time with us to talk about it. Thank you so much. Well, um, writing cookbooks really is my passion. I um, I just love my work, so, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a joy to 
continually learn about Italian cooking. Um, I always say that Italy is a small country, but every region is vast. And every time I go back for research, I learn so much. Mm. Yeah. Well, you, you're coming from uh, being a reporter, right? A reporter and a writer. You come into this. Is that correct? Yes, that's mm-hmm. right. I used to be a newspaper reporter and I am still a freelance um, reporter and, and food writer. So I always use my reporting skills when I'm researching. You know, when I um, travel, I I like to interview cooks and food artisans, and I really love to tell their stories. Hmm, You know, I I read a lot of, you know, I read a lot. So I'm kind of one of those people who can skip through and write over an intro if it doesn't grab me. But I was reading your, you know, your your latest book that just came out, Preserving Italy, Canning, Curing, Infusing, and Bottling Italian Flavors and Traditions. And I started with your introduction and I was, it like made me sit up. It was so well written and you endeared me immediately. And then you know, started reading more about your bio and I said, yep, she's a writer. I mean, it shows in that introduction. Oh, gosh, thank you so much. That's lovely to hear. Um, yeah, I, I, the intro starts with um, my grandmother's sour cherries and um you know she made these amarene sotto spiritos sour cherries and alcohol um and i have no memory of her doing that but um when i spent when i would go to italy where uh, where i spent my summers uh we would enjoy her sour cherries and um and she passed away of course without ever sharing the recipe, um, because it was just something she did. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, and so there were a few jars of these cherries left. And, um, so my mom and her three sisters were very jealous of these jars of cherries <laughs> and were very jealous about, you know, very parsimonious about doling out, um, any of these sour cherries to us and we made them last as long as we possibly could but that was kind of the inspiration of the book was it started with my desire to recreate my grandmother's sour cherries wow terrific and I had I had such a kind of visceral feeling um with you describing you know it was like one last jar of cherries from Nona and the way that must have felt for your you know your mother and her sisters it's such a precious thing and they were very careful about doling those cherries out because once they were gone of course they were that, gone that's right that was it absolutely it's really beautiful yeah. very poetic thank so, you Dominican before we go down this kind of path of talking about preservation. First for our listeners, maybe you could talk a little bit about your childhood and where your family came from in Italy, just so they kind of understand where you're coming from. Yeah. So I was actually born in Yonkers, New York. So I'm a native New Yorker and I grew up in New Jersey, exit nine. Um, So outside of Princeton. Um, But my mother was born and raised in Chieti, which is a city in the Abruzzo region of Italy. And um, her dad was actually from Perugia, but her mother was um, born and raised in Chieti. And and that's where my mother grew up. Um, My dad was um, born in Rhode Island, and he grew up in Providence, Rhode Island, but both of his parents came from Italy. His mother was from Isernia, which is um, in 
the Molise region, and his dad was from Fondi, which is a small town south of Rome in Lazio. So my parents all sort of came from that same central south area of, um, of Italy. And um, when I was growing up, I spent my summers in Abruzzo. Um, my mother had three sisters who never married, and they were all kind of career women um, at a time when it was pretty unusual for women in Italy to do that. But they mm. shared an apartment in Rome, and we also had a family house um, on the Adriatic coast in, in the beach town of Silvi Marina. So that's where I spent my summers growing up, and um, that's where I absolutely fell in love with Italy. Um, so I feel, you know, like a lot of us Italian-Americans, I feel really blessed to have had those two, these two countries, um, you know, have equal um, value in my upbringing. Um, you know, most of the time, I spent most of the year in the U.S. I went to school here. I went to college here. And you know, I've uh, raised my family here, but I'm always looking for ways to go back. So, um, you know, I, I love being over in Italy. I love bringing Italian traditions here to the U.S. And that's kind of um, I've tried to give myself and my family the best of both worlds, I guess you could say. Hmm. That's great. And you and you talked about the the jars of cherries that your grandmother had left when she passed and how important they were. And I know from reading the book, you know, your, your mom kind of helped you to recreate that recipe and figure out what that was. T talk to us about preserving food. Like, what is it about that that interests you? I mean, the book, Preserving Italy, has so many amazing recipes of preserving food. And it's obviously something that you become very passionate about. So maybe you could talk about it. Yeah. Um, in a sense, all of my books are about preserving Italian food. I, um, so I've written seven, and my first book was a little book on Italian soups and stews, and then I've done a book on Italian pasta and vegetables. And um, whenever I'm writing, I always look for recipes that are kind of um, in danger of being lost or maybe a little more obscure. Or um, I really try to focus on authentic Italian. And I know that word has come to mean maybe nothing anymore authentic, but I really do. <laughs> you know, I, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm, but, um, yes. There's a lot of authentic Italian out there, but I really do. Um, when I go to Italy, look for people who, um, you know, not just um, professionals, but home cooks and home preservers and people who um, who really try to keep these Italian food traditions alive. And uh, when I wrote The Glorious Vegetables of Italy, which came out in 2013, I had a small chapter on preserves and condiments. And that... Um, kind of got me to thinking that it might be a subject that was worth a larger exploration. And then um, after years of just dreaming about my grandmother's cherries, I decided I really wanted to try to recreate those. And at that point, I thought, you know, the issue of preserving is something that is still really near and dear to a lot of Italians. I mean, things have changed over there. When I was growing up, um, you know, the daily market was still where most people did their shopping. Now, of course, there's, uh, you know, uh, the um, the supermarket, prepared foods. Things have become, I guess you could say, more Americanized in a lot of ways. But 
there is still this tradition of preserving food. I have so many friends. Um, they either live out in the country or they have places out in the country or plots of land. And as you know, in Italy, wherever there's a plot of land, there is something growing in it. <laughs> you know, we don't have, they don't have those lawns that you have to mow. I mean, they grow food and um, that's what the ground is meant for. And because of the climate in Italy, so many things grow well and you can't eat it all at one time. So of course you're going to preserve it. You're not going to throw it away. Oh, no. um, August is tomato time. And uh, you know, I know families who it's just a ritual. It's, it's a celebration. They spend, um, you know, days in August just harvesting tomatoes and making passata and sauce and canning whole tomatoes. And it just becomes a family event. And these rituals are important. And I really felt like they should be, you know, literally preserved in a book. So, Dominica, when you say that, it's, I think it's important, especially to Dolores and I, because we talk about this a lot on the podcast, which is like preserving traditions and trying to keep things going. And we, we understand that, you know, the world is changing and things are always going to change. Like you said, you know, the food is somewhat changed in Italy, but it's great that you are, you know, trying to seek out some of these <clears throat> older traditional recipes and different things and preserve them. And, and really the, the preserving of the food is, just, I think, one of the best ways to do it. I mean, like you said, I mean, for what it meant to you, I'm sure emotionally, like with your with your grandmother, with the cherries, and then the fact that, you know, I'm sure that those cherries really, you know, gave you an emotional tie to her. So you can almost think like if you can create those cherries again, it like reminds you of her. Yes, that's exactly it. And, um, and I, you know, I'm not the only one. I, the wonderful thing about what's going on in Italy now is I think that there is this revival of interest in, in these traditions, even among uh, um, Italians themselves. Um, one of the, the uh, features about this book that I really love is that I got the opportunity to profile a number of food artisans. And so there's, you know, um, an essay about my friend Francesca, a young um, woman who um, remembers as a child, you know, picking, um, harvesting olives with her grandmother. And they would just make, like many Italian families, they would make their own olive oil, which they would use throughout the year. And Francesca, you know, went to university and she studied um, winemaking and she studied um, business. And, you know, so she was kind of immersed in the world of food and wine, but she decided um, that she wanted to start a business making olive oil. And this was something that, um, you know, to her, olive oil is not just an ingredient. She told me that, you know, Italians, um, when they're born, they're anointed with, uh, with olive oil. When they mm. um, at their, are on their deathbed, they're anointed with mm. olive oil. So this is a precious substance. And so she, you know, makes... Um, her living making olive beautiful organic olive oil she does not make a ton of money at it but it is something that she's passionate about and um it's so meaningful to her and to be able to talk to her and hear her story and write about it it was so satisfying and other people i spoke to um you know are they do the same thing there's a couple in piemonte uh near alba and they 
have a little shop off the Strada Statale, the state road, where they um, make and sell um, Piemontese preserves. And they do everything with such care. They don't even have a refrigerator in their in their you know, their little um, kitchen where they make everything. Wow. It's straight from the farm to you know, the, the vat where they preserve. And, um, and they're very proud of what they did. They both changed careers kind of um, midlife uh, to, to just kind of follow their passion. So um, even as things are changing in, you know, in the way Italians eat or maybe buy their food, there is also this desire among people to, um, to preserve these traditions. So I was so happy to see that when I was researching this book. You know, Domenica, I don't know if this is something that you can actually speak to because you, you mentioned that you do a lot of your research in Italy. But Anthony and I talk a lot about the fact that um, for Italian-Americans, it's like our, our mores and our codes of conduct kind of stopped in an old-fashioned way because our parents and our grandparents, they left Italy and came here and they raised us with that mentality, that old-school mentality. While Meanwhile, back in Italy, things were becoming modern and changing, but Italian-Americans are almost like a historical vessel of a, you know, a, a gone time in a way. So I'm yeah. wondering, yeah, I'm wondering if you if you see in any way that these preserving these little preserving of traditions and foods are do they happen more frequently here in America? Are you seeing that among the Italians here? I definitely see it among Italians here. I have a lot of Italian American friends who um, who preserve, and I, you know, one of the um, one of my friends who helped me out with this book is um, my friend Carolyn, who is half Italian and half German, actually. And she and I did a day of sausage making together, and um, this is something she, her uh, Italian, I believe grandfather taught her and this is uh you know a tradition that she has uh she's done it every winter every december ever since she was a child it is something she's taught her three daughters and every december she gets a big crowd of people together at her house and we all make sausage um i have another friend who is in new york and she's a caterer and she puts up hundreds of pounds of tomatoes every summer and you know her dad is from abruzzo and um her mom is from sicily and you know these traditions came over with them and these are the traditions that she now is um sharing with her own she's got three boys and so i see this definitely something um that italian americans hold dear and uh and i think it's great um i come from a small family which is kind of strange for for italians but it was just my sister and me and my mom came over on her own she was very independent and after world war ii like many italians she was kind of in love with america and so she came over and um started working and so she kind of um, she brought the tradition herself. She um, she actually grew up in a family that had cooks and and all of that. So she didn't herself do preserving. But when she came over here, I think she kind of missed the rituals and the flavors of her native Abruzzo. And so she kind of taught herself these things and then um, taught me as well. Hmm. You know, I have to say that my my mother 
does a lot of preserving and canning, and um, a lot of it is from the garden. And, you know, growing up, I was fortunate enough, and even still now, you know, we did those those rituals, the, the jarring of the tomatoes every August, you know, everybody we knew coming over, and then you would return the same favor and go to their house when it was time for them to do it, you know? And there's some of the most precious memories that me and my cousins and siblings have. It was always it's a celebration, as you said. And I always and I still see her preserving as like magical. There is something magical about <laughs> it, isn't there? I mean, you take these ingredients and you manipulate them a little bit and you end up with something, you know, different and something that you can just stick on a shelf and last. With that same magic, though, I'll say that because I think it's it's always been this kind of like mysterious thing that she does that I see it as something I'm nervous to do myself. So what's the kind of advice you have for someone like me who, you know, I want to do the canning, I want to do the preserving, but I feel like I don't have mommy or Nona's magic. (laughs) That is a great question. And of course, when you're preserving, it it is serious because um, there's always a risk of bacteria Mm -hmm. or some kind of um, microorganism, um, you know, affecting what you're making and um, Italians traditionally haven't always been, um, I won't say careful. It's just that, you know, we have our USDA guidelines that are very strict. Um, For example, uh, you know, things need to be preserved in a water bath or maybe in a pressure cooker. Um, I still see recipes um, on Italian websites or in books that just call for, uh, you know, filling the jars, sealing them, and just putting them on a shelf. Mm. Um, One thing I will tell people is that when you're following a recipe for a preserve, um, you need to follow it to the letter, especially in the beginning, if you're beginning canner, because the ratio of, you know, vinegar or salt or alcohol um, really plays a crucial role in making sure that whatever vegetable or fruit you're preserving, you know, is going to um be free of microorganisms that will, you know, that could be dangerous. I mean, I don't want to scare anybody because people have been doing this for thousands of years. Um, But if you're a beginner, you know, really just kind of roll up your sleeves, relax about it, follow the recipe. And it's like anything, the more you do it, the more confident that you get, the more you understand the process. There's, um, you know, I have a a list in the book of, of websites that have guidelines for canning and those are always helpful. So, um, I would encourage people, it's so satisfying. You know, one of the most satisfying things to me is if I've made that, that quince paste or if I've made, um, you know, a big pot of, of plum preserves or strawberry preserves, it's so nice to see those jars lined up and to hear that ping as the jars seal. Um, so, if, you know, I, I always encourage people to go for it, you know, just um, just follow the instruction, instructions and, uh, and you'll be fine. 
I think you I think you nailed it because that's what that's what makes me most nervous. It was always so serious, like all my aunts and my mother with like the sterilizing of the jars, the mason yeah. jars. It was like, what am I doing? Am I doing it right? Am I going to ruin the year <laughs> like because our tomatoes are going to go bad? <laughs> yeah, no, chances are you're not going to ruin anything and you're not going to kill anybody, you know? <laughs> That's I mean, <laughs> I'm sure I've eaten stuff that, you know, came off of people's shelves that that was maybe not preserved in, in the most scientific way. And I'm still here to talk about it. And Domenica does have some sections in the beginning of her book on safety and pressure canning and, and other things so that you can follow the recipes and you don't have to <laughs> worry about messing it up like Dolores right. But um, I think one of the things, too, that is <clears throat> kind of interesting that I think from what you're doing, Domenica, and other, other people like you is that food is just such an important part of Italian culture, traditions. And Dolores, if you remember, we had Tony Reale on the show and we asked him what it meant to be Italian. And he said, you know, people talk about food, people talk about family. He's like, and I really talk about feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that feeling is kind of goes into all these things like food. I mean, like, like Dolores just said, I mean, the thinking about these days with her family is brings back these feelings for her. So I think when you're preserving food, you're preserving a lot more than the food. You're preserving all these family traditions. And for the younger generations, it is important that we get information that you're giving out, Domenica and others, and we follow it because that's going to allow us to keep it going. Yeah, it is. This connection is, uh, it's an emotional connection. It's not just about learning a technique. And it's not about, you know, learning to make um, some kind of cool pickles or, or jams. I really do believe there is this emotional connection. You know, um, I feel like my grandmother uh, is there in the kitchen with me when I'm making her cherries. You know, I feel like my mom is there with me. And um, I, I don't want to sound macabre. My mom is alive and well in New Jersey, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I feel like she, she's, she doesn't cook as much anymore cause she's quite elderly now. Um, so it's important for me, you know, I, I shared her jardiniera recipe in, in the book and other of her recipes. And, um, it's important to me to keep that connection going. And I, you know, I like putting out a jar of my mom's jardiniera at the table and, you know, seeing my kids enjoy it. Mm. Um, to me, those things are precious and these moments with family are precious. And, um, so food is definitely, uh, the connection between generations. So Domenica, I have, I have an issue that I, it's like a kind of evergreen theme for me, which is, um, I'm, you know, speaking of food as feeling and food as such a large part of all our culture, I, I always have a kind of struggle between um, being wanting to be very healthy and eat clean. And I, you know, I try to stay away from sugar. I don't eat too many carbs. And then this huge kind of rich heritage that I have that is largely uh, encapsulated in food and in cooking. So um, I wonder if you ever think about that and what your thoughts are about that. I do think about that, um, you know, because uh, as somebody who's not as young as I used to be, you know, <laughs> it's harder to, to shed those pounds. And, um, you know, I spend a lot of time on my feet in the kitchen, but I also spend a lot of time at the computer writing. Um, I I just can't ever see myself giving up pasta, 
You know, um, I think there are certain people who obviously have um, uh, food issues and, and celiac and those that sort of thing. Um, but I, um, I think, like most Italians, you have to enjoy your food. It, I think it, it just goes down so much better if you're enjoying mm-hmm. what you're eating and you're not fretting too much about it. I think portion is a big key to this. Um, you, have you been to Italy? You've been to Italy, right? Yes, yeah, yes. of mm-hmm. course. So you see what the portions are like over there. Um, you know, we don't have these enormous plates of pasta uh, in, in Italy. People really do eat judiciously. Right. They're also very active. People walk everywhere. They bicycle everywhere. I live in suburbia, unfortunately, so I I use my car a lot. So I have to, you know, if I want to walk, I have to go on a walk or a jog or, or whatever, which I try to do. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of, you know, eating in moderation, enjoying what you eat. Last night, for example, I made fried squash blossoms and fried sage leaves to go with, um, hmm. you know, a salad and frittata. And I saw those on Instagram. I, mean, <laughs> I, yeah. I hearted it. I liked it. I'm an Instagram addict. <laughs> You know, I did not fry a lot of them, but I saw them at the farmer's market yesterday and I thought, okay, I need to buy these zucchini blossoms and fry them. And, you know, we all enjoyed them. And um, I think it's possible to eat these foods, to eat good cheese, to have, you know, a nice dish of pasta, to have um, a little tiramisu or whatever. I mean, Italians don't eat dessert every day. We have lots of fruit and, um, but we love our sweets too. I think it's just a matter of, um, eating judiciously, right. And enjoying what you're eating. I, I don't go to like drive through eateries or, um, I try not to eat standing up because I think that really defeats the whole purpose. And it, there's so little enjoyment in that kind of eating. Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's a really good point. It was really interesting question from Dolores and, a, and the answer really makes you think that, you know, that's part of this whole process of people emigrating over here. Part of maybe what was Americanized was, mm-hmm. you know, the way we eat the Italian food. I mean, you know, we had, yes, Lydia, that's you know, a good we, point. We had Lydia Bastianich on and she talked a lot about, um, you know, Italian American cuisine is the immigrants that came here they cooked Italian with whatever they could find here. So it's kind of a different, it's a different, you know, type of food per se than exactly what was traditionally in Italy. And then your point about the, the portions is, you know, a big point too. I mean, yeah, you can eat a certain way if you're eating a certain amount of food, but if you're going to take that same amount of the same type of food and then, you know, supersize it, yeah, you you (laughs) double the amount of it, of course it's going to be, it's going to be not going to be good for you. And also, you know, a lot of Italian traditions are very heavy, on vegetables, of course, you know, a lot of farming, a lot of vegetables. And, I, and of course, in the U.S., sometimes we seem to squeeze some of those out of the dinner plan. So, yeah, that's an excellent point, actually. Um, and that's uh, and that's why I wanted to write the glorious vegetables of Italy is because um, I feel like vegetables get lost. A lot of people think of Italian food as pasta, pizza, cheese, gelato, you know, all of which I love. But 
the Italian way with vegetables is so wonderful and they don't manipulate them very much. Um, but uh, and I said in that book that, that Italy really is a garden and so many things grow well in, uh, in this Mediterranean climate in, and in the many microclimates that exist in Italy. And so um, with all these vegetables. Um, yeah, they're, they're always on the table in some form or another. Um, and the wonderful thing here, um, now is that we've got all these great farmers markets. So, um, even if you don't have a garden yourself, chances are you're pretty close to a great farm farmers market. Uh, A lot of farmers markets now sell things like radicchio and maybe you'll even find fennel and artichokes and other Italian you know, or vegetables that you see in Italian cuisine. Uh, so definitely, I, I always encourage people to make vegetables a part of, you know, a big part of the meal. All right. As we wrap it up here, Domenico, if we're going to start to preserve food, our listeners are listening and they want to start, what is one maybe recipe you would recommend as a good starting point? One of my favorites is my mother's jardiniera that I mentioned because it's classic. And, uh, you know, right now there are carrots and cauliflower and all sorts of good vegetables uh, in the farmer's markets that you can uh, turn into jardiniera. And then you have a nice, you know, crunchy condiment to go with, um, you know, roast chicken or even, um, you know, next to a hot dog. I mean, uh, jardiniera is nice and, and versatile. Awesome. And oh, let, let's see. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just seeing all these recipes. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> so for those of us who like a little booze, there's also um, a chapter on syrups and liqueurs. And uh, so there's a recipe for limoncello and also crema di limoncello, which is um, limoncello with cream. So talk about the best of both worlds. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's that's another one of my favorites is the crema di limoncello. All right. Domenica Marchetti, the author of Preserving Italy. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here. We wish you the best with this book and all of everything you do because you have a lot going on. Where's the best place for our listeners to catch up with you, Domenica? I have a website. It's www.domenicacooks.com. And in fact, I just posted a bunch of events that I'm doing um, around the release of the book. So yeah, you can find me there and, um, and hopefully at one of the events. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much, Domenica, for being on the show. Thank you, What a great pleasure. Thank you. It was wonderful to talk to both of you. The book is great, Paisani. We're going to link to it in the show notes, but definitely go out and get a copy and start canning, all right? Now it's time for our Italian-American Stories segment. This is the part of the show we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations. We try to play a recording or a story from one of our relatives or one of our listeners. Before we jump into today's segment, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this segment of the episode, Select Italy. Select Italy is the ultimate source for travel to Italy and offers a wide array of superior Italian travel products and services, including customized itineraries, fascinating tours, romantic getaways, unique and fun culinary classes, yacht charters, transportation, hotel reservations, villa bookings, tickets for museums, musical events, and more. All right, Dolores, what do you have for our Italian-American story segment today? This story segment features my mother, 
talking about how she started cooking and how she really only started cooking when she came here to America. And she also goes into what cooking was like back in Italy when the majority of people, of course, that she grew up around didn't have money to buy a lot of ingredients and especially some of the ingredients we just spoke about with Domenica, which, you know, that would later become a luxury when, when they came to America. So it's some interesting stuff. I hope you all enjoy it. I'm here with my mother, Stefanina Alfieri, for our Italian-American story segment. I was thinking we, we just had our interview segment with a cookbook author, Domenica Marchetti. And we talked a lot about Italian traditions and cooking food and things like that. So that it started me thinking about what a great cook you are, of course. But I know you've told me a lot of stories that it, was, it wasn't always that way. Tell me a little bit about when you started cooking. Well, I started to cook when I came to the United States because when I was in Italy, uh, there was not everything there is today. And whatever you had to cook, it had to be something that you know how to make or you had to find stuff to make. Like back then, we didn't have all the fancy stuff they have over here. Let's say I wanted to do spaghetti with clam sauce. There was no way that we can find spaghetti. I mean, the clam sauce. We had spaghetti, but we don't have the clam sauce. Uh, we had fresh clams, but uh, they used to come around, around the town. The lady used to sell fish, but we didn't have money to buy. So it was always complication, one way or the other. Did Nona cook? Did Anon cook? No. My mother, she, she only know how to do spaghetti galganolia and a lot of hot pepper inside. Okay. And back then, I didn't like the hot pepper. And every time I don't used to cook there, I used to be with that heat because either you eat the day or you starve because there was nothing else to eat. Right, she wasn't asked, she wasn't making four different dinners like... Like I do, no. <laughs> like you do and like a lot of mothers in America do now. Yes. No, back then you have no choice. Either you eat what they put on the table, or you go you go you go to sleep with nothing. Do you remember anybody in the neighborhood being a good cook? Uh, there was a lot of people that they know how to cook, like better than my mother. Because, like I said, my mother she's she was not a great cook. Yes, did they know how to make a lasagna? There was the people who can afford to buy all the ingredients to make a lasagna. Because back then, to make a lasagna, you need a ricotta, you need a separate you need a mozzarella, and a lot of people, they didn't have money for that. So yeah, there was people that they, they made that kind of plate. But it was people who could afford to make it. What about what about um, on 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 Daddy's side? They had a little more money than you. Yeah, she used to do that. She was back then. She was a lot better than my mother. Yeah. Yeah. I started to eat a lot of stuff that I didn't even know they existed when I started to go over Daddy's house. Yeah. Okay, so then you came to America. Then I came to America, and uh, I don't know how to cook. Just like my mother, because my mother never made any fancy food or anything. Not that I make fancy food, but 
But uh, now I got very, very good. Right. <laughs> I can make, it's true. Nobody would argue that. I can make like four or five plates on the table in like in a half an hour, right. maybe 40 minutes. Yeah. I'm not afraid to stay in the kitchen. And let me see, if somebody comes and they come from far away, like from city, or like we have a lot of family in the city, and they just, they, oh, we would just upstate, we stop by to say hello. I would just put it. Three, four kind of dishes together in an hour. Mm-hmm. So back then, I was not like that because uh, I don't have experience. So I learned over here. And what made you start to want to cook like that? Well, we used to have a pizzeria. And uh, I used to cook. I used to make pizza. So a little bit at a time. I learned how to do chicken cutlets. I don't know what chicken cutlets was. Because like a year and a half, we were here. We came from Italy. That he opened up a pizzeria. Right. So to me, it was a big deal because I had to learn how to do this. I had to learn how to do that. So a little bit at a time. You see, you do, and you learn. And now, even with with years, I we always, as you know, we always had people over here over the weekend and weekdays. Always. Set aside, uh, barbecue, cook, and do this and do that. So to me, it comes easy. Yeah, you're used to it Yeah, now. I'm used to it, yes. So for some people, it's like to make lasagna, oh my God, it takes yeah, them, it's, you it's know, a big deal. Lasagna but... for me, it's the easy plates that I could do. Mm. Because once you got it already, you put it in the oven, you don't have to worry about it. Right. So what was like a typical thing you ate when you were growing up? Pasta fasu, mm-hmm. pasta padan. Mm-hmm. Which I love pasta padana, pasta fazu, because mm-hmm. it was my favorite place. Mm-hmm. And padana frites. Yeah. Like fried potato. Right. So these dishes like pasta padana, pasta fazul, even pasta basil, yeah. people might not realize that they're, they're like beloved Italian American dishes now, yes, but, that was, yes. but that was what poor people ate. Yes. Because you didn't have anything you else. You didn't have anything else. Right. Like, yes. But pasta was cheap. Pasta was cheap. We had, we had a pasta every day. Pasta with uh, garlic and olive, pasta padana, pasta fazul, pasta brazil, uh, pasta with uh, ceci, like, uh, I can't think the name now. Uh, pasta with everything. Yeah. And some of the people today, they still got to have a pasta for... For lunch, because in Italy they have a dinner, a lunch time, and then they have a lunch at dinner time. Right, they have like a light yes. dinner, and light, the, the yes. heavy meal is at lunch. At lunch. Where right. for us here yes. in America, the heavy meals are usually at dinner. At dinner, yes. Yeah, when you sit down with yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah. And where did you, how did you get your ingredients? Like, how did you, where did you go get them? You mean in Italy? Yeah. Well, we used to have uh, a little delicatessen right across from where I used to live. Back then, they didn't have a lot of stuff like today. You know, whatever you used to make, you used to go over there. Uh, whatever you need, you used to buy, but we had no money to pay right away, not like today. So we used to go over there with a little block of book. Let's say you used to buy two pounds of spaghetti. You don't have money, the lady used to put them on a two pounds of spaghetti. It's uh, 50 liter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you had money at the end of the month, at the end of the week, you used to go over there and pay. Right. That's the way it was for everybody down the south. Right. For everybody. 
But you guys didn't have a garden or anything like that? No, 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 no. We never had a garden. So where'd you get your vegetables and stuff? Well, the neighbor had a garden, a lot of neighbors. And they used to, when there was like this time in the summertime, they had a tomato, zucchini, peppers, potato, fazula. They used to give it to us. They went, there was like, the old neighborhood was one family. Mm. We in, in one block, it was like, let's say block, but in neighborhood, it was like um, 20 family, 30 family. We all know each other. We all help each other. I remember my mother used to go to work in the morning, and I was all alone. I was like 77, 6, 7 years old. But I was all alone home. I thought I was all alone, but all the neighborhood used to watch me. Right. God forbid you used to do something wrong or you used to go someplace that you're not supposed to. Everybody would know. Everybody would yell at me. It's yeah. not like today that they have the door closed and they don't know who leaves, who dies, who goes here, who goes there. Right. Yeah. I kind of felt that way growing up, though. Well, like everywhere I went, yeah. somebody was watching was me. watching you because over here we were, we were all Italian. Yeah. And most of the Italian they were here... They grow up the same way I grow up. Yeah. So, and people like that, they don't forget it the way they grow up. Right. Especially like us, we have a lot of Italian friends. They think, oh, Dolores, she's alone. What is she doing over there? Uh, she's not supposed to be there. So they watch over here. Right. But today, it's not like that. Yeah, it's a little different. It's, it's a little a harder. Because it's not harder everybody than, lives yes. in one place anymore. Yes. That makes it hard. And that's, it's a lot of different. So, I keep bringing up your birthday where we order Chinese food (laughs) (laughs) in conversation with the family. So uh, I'll just tell our listeners very quickly. You recently had a birthday and it was a night we were trying to do a nice thing. You know, we're not really a family that goes out to dinner. We never have been. We don't necessarily feel very comfortable out to dinner. We feel comfortable in the house, around the table, all of us together. But because it was your birthday, we didn't want you to have to cook like you always do. Um, so we ordered Chinese food, which <laughs> which you love. And we thought it was like a good treat. But I noticed when we sat down to eat that it just wasn't the same. There was something missing. My cook. That's what it was missing. <laughs> You're cooking. And you were not the only one. I was the number one because I felt like... Um, Oh my God! I have nothing to do. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't have to watch this in the oven. I don't have right. to watch this on the stove. And a whole day, like <laughs> I was lost because <laughs> on family night, I'm always busy. I'm always in the kitchen because right. I gotta cook this one because this, because my son like this one, my daughter like that, my grandkids like that. So I try to make everybody happy. Right. But that day, it right. Was terrible. Yeah. And so, what I want to ask you is, what do you think it is about? Italian cooking and homemade Italian food in particular that gives that, I don't know, that special something when a family gets together. You know? Yeah. You do with love. You do it with that's love. That's right. <laughs> I thought you so would say good. that. Yeah. You do it with love, which I really, really do with love. Yes. Because I'm happy to do. I know my kids, they're going to be here, and I'm happy for them. I'm very, very blessed yeah. for that. Well, and you could kind of, it's not the same, like, when you order Chinese food, no, you, the not. people who made it weren't necessarily making it with love, like Mommy no, and Nana. because it's a business. <laughs> they got it. Yeah, but, you, but it was so weird how you could feel that it was off, 
the usual dinner was like not right. Something yeah. was missing. Everything was missing. I think there's. But it was nice. It was it nice. Was it's nice. always nice when the family yes. gets together. Yeah. But that's not my point. My point is that, that there's something special and magical in mommy's cooking, Nona's cooking, in ho- anybody's homemade, especially Italian food. It's the thing that brings everybody together. together. Yeah. So what do you tell people who say that they can't cook or maybe they're trying to get back? Maybe they remember their Nona cooking Italian food and they want to do it themselves. What's your advice to them? Well, if the nun is still alive, and they love the, you know, the food the nun cooks, to watch, to write it down, and make sure they're going to do every once in a while. This way they don't forget the test. They don't forget the way nun is doing. Same right. thing. If you have a mom like you, mm-hmm. when I cook, I know you ask me, Ma, how do you make this? Ma, how do you make the bread? Ma, how do you make the gnocchi? Ma, how do you make... And I told you, I said, this day, you know, mm-hmm. even if, when the day, when the day comes, I'm not here no more. Mm-hmm. I know, you know how to do it. 150 yes. years from now. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> At least. So, you know how to do it because you saw me so many right, times. It's you true. grow up with me. Right. And I say, the people that they say that they don't know how to cook, especially today's days, they're lazy. <laughs> Yeah, they are lazy. Right, because right. Today, you go on a computer, you can find anything. It's true. You want, right, anything you want. Yeah. So don't tell me that you want to learn how to do this, but you can't. You go on a computer. Right. I do what you got. Right. Do. You if can you learn. You really it. want to do it. I agree. If I know how to go, to, if I wouldn't know how to go on a computer. <laughs> Oh, you do a pretty good job. You still get well, recipes every now yes, and then. I still get recipe, whatever. Yeah. My experience, but uh, yeah. And with the bacon, please. I yeah, you know how to do nothing. Yeah. I don't know that over here. Right, you're a great baker. You're oh, known yeah. for that. People, yeah. people ask you to make stuff for their, you know, kids' christenings and communions. I Did anyone bake in Italy? Well, back when I was there, uh, they didn't bake like we do today because they didn't have all this recipe, they didn't have all these things. Maybe they have it like Hope North, but not the South. Right. It was like a real so treat. It was, yes. It yeah. was like a real yeah. treat. I remember for Easter, I only used to make biscotti, used to make uh, spaghetti pie. Yeah, which is more food than dessert. Yeah. yeah. Panettone. But little things that sh- that was the tradition. Mm-hmm. And back then, for Nona to do that, it was a lot of money. Right, for right. But she tried to do her best. That's nice. Yeah. So that's the way it was. Some of my friends now can remember, even in high school, that, that like at midnight they would come downstairs and you would be making a cheesecake. Yes. <laughs> like yes. for no reason, and they would be like, "Why is your mom making a cheesecake?" And I would just say, "I don't know why not." And if they if they asked you, what would you say? Well, I have cream cheese. I can't let it go bad. That's <laughs> yeah. If I have, that's the, was my answer. Yeah, yeah, I have cream cheese. I got to do something with I it. Got to do something with it. Can't right. just throw it out. Right. Got to right. use it. Got to right. make a cheesecake at midnight for no reason. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, mommy, thanks again for sharing some of your stories with us. Okay. I always appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, that's another episode of the Italian American Podcast in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. As we mentioned earlier, we'll have another special bonus episode coming to you next week to celebrate Mike Piazza's induction into the Hall of Fame. Before I kick it over to Dolores to take us out of this one, let me once again recognize our sponsor, Select Italy. Everything you need for optimum travel to Italy is possible with Select Italy. And now, thanks to Select Italy, you can combine yoga with your next Italian vacation. Join Ariana Sertoli, a certified holistic health coach, self-trained chef, and yoga teacher in early September for a yoga retreat in the enchanting region of Puglia, the heel of Italy. Experience a unique vacation in the name of adventure, wellness, healthy food, Italian wonders, and yoga practice. Visit selectitaly.com forward slash yoga for details. Dolores? So, Anthony, this is our 20th episode And it's a milestone that I just want us to recognize before we wrap up the show. When we started, we weren't sure where this was going to lead. And it's been such an amazing adventure. We've met some amazing people and explored some deep issues about who we are as a people and who we're becoming. So I just want to take a moment, Anthony, to say I wish us another 20 episodes at least. And also, in honor of that, I want to read this really wonderful letter We recently received from one of our listeners. This letter is from Gabe DeMeo, and he writes, Dear Anthony and Dolores, I'm writing to thank you for your podcast. When I listen to the Italian American podcast, it reminds me that I'm not alone. The authenticity and enthusiasm of you and your guests is what keeps me listening. You all sound like my relatives and family friends. I'm originally from Long Island, New York, but I now live in the Buffalo, New York area. It's a great place to live, even if the pizza and Italian bread is not as good. The other issue is that I'm hundreds of miles from my relatives. The cost for that is that it's more difficult to be Italian. Aside from the actual people, I miss the traditions, food, the accents, and the stories. I belong to an Italian club here and I'm connected with an online community, but there is more that I want. Like many, I'm trying to reconnect with my roots more fully. Inspired by Anthony's talks with his grandparents and Dolores' talk with her sister about their dad, I started doing something that I put off for years. That is, memorializing my family history. Unfortunately, I never did this as a younger man. Now my grandparents, my dad, and three of his four siblings have passed away. So I contacted my dad's only living sibling, my Aunt Lucy, and she agreed to share her memories. She now lives in California, but by using freeconferencecall.com, I called and recorded a conversation that covered my grandparents and general family history. Interestingly, my aunt noted that she regrets not doing something like this with my grandma when she was still alive. In closing, I want you to know that you have a friend in Western New York. If there's anything you need, please let me know. If you're ever in town, let me know that too. I know a place with some pretty good schwietel and espresso. You have my very best wishes for continued success. Uh, Gabe, thank you. I mean, I wanted to read that letter, especially on this 20th episode, because Paisani, that's why we've done 20 episodes. That letter, what happened to Gabe, that's why we're doing this. It's not an easy thing to do, but it starts with what Gabe is doing, what Mary Tedesco told us in our first guest episode, which was just talk to your family. Just talk to them. Exactly, exactly what Gabe's doing. He called, he recorded it, and he's starting to keep, you know, he, now he's kind of putting a record together of his family history. So That's right. it was a great letter, and we're happy to be able to share it with the listeners so that you can get inspired as well. 
And as Lydia Bastianich said on one of our episodes, all of this kind of stuff is hard work. It's hard work to keep a family together. It's hard work to keep traditions alive, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. That's right. And like Gabe said, he put it off for years, but he did it now and he got information. Amen. Lastly, let's wrap it up as we usually do. I'm going to tell you where you can find us if you haven't already for some reason on social media. We are on Instagram at Italian American. We're on Twitter at Ital American. That's I-T-A-L American. And we're on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Fra un poco. 